Good morning. It is great to be back at Maranatha Baptist Church. I can't explain or tell you enough how it thrills our hearts to see what God is doing here and see God's faithfulness. And uh, we miss you dearly. Uh, we love our new church, we love our new location. At times I feel like I'm double dating because <laughs> our hearts are still here, but our bodies are in Maryland. We know God has a plan and purpose for all things, and as we shared in Sunday school, we uh, sought wise counsel, prayed to the Lord, and thought for years about possibly moving, and uh, God has fulfilled that. Although, when we first moved to Maryland, I was wondering, okay, why is it taking so long to get our car registered and a license? And that was strange. Once I had a Maryland license and not a Michigan license after living in Michigan for 68 years, uh, the process was unbelievable. I had to go three times to their Department of Motor Vehicles. The first time when I was taking the eye test, I had to say to them, now I'm blind in my right eye, so I, my peripheral vision over on that side is pretty bad. You know, and I haven't had any accidents on my right side, just on my left side. But, <laughs> um, and the guy said, well, I don't know. I think you're going to have to go to the eye doctor and have the eye doctor tell us that you can drive in Maryland. Well, I've been driving for decades in Michigan and they didn't have any problem with that. So, you know, I went to the eye doctor and came back. And then they looked at our car registration. Oh, it's from Michigan. You have to have it inspected. Even though it was a two-year-old car with only 11,000 miles at the time, you have to go get an inspection. So we had to go pay $100 besides paying the doctor fees and so forth. And then by the time I got the registration and everything, we were paying hundreds of dollars just to have a license plate and a driver's license in Maryland. But we are residents of Maryland and we have our license there. We again earnestly miss you and pray for you. As I mentioned during the Sunday school hour, we're watching, looking over your shoulders, especially those in the two-thirds of you in the middle of this section. Uh, we're watching and waving and saying there's so-and-so and there's so-and-so and we're missing so-and-so. Where are they? And maybe they're sitting over there. And so some of you on the outside kind of move to the center sometimes so we can wave and say hi to you at least. Having made this move and searching for a church, uh, which God has wonderfully, providentially uh, given us a church that we love and appreciate, I am very thankful more than ever for Maranatha Baptist Church, for the philosophy of ministry, for the leadership at this church, Pastor Joey, Pastor Brett, Pastor Mike, and what God is doing in your midst, and I hope you appreciate this church. It, it is rare what you have at Maranatha Baptist Church. And I recognize in any church, we don't agree 100% with everything. We don't agree necessarily with everything at our church, but the main things are the main things, and the minor things are the minor things. And we can let those go and appreciate the main things. And I appreciate at our new church uh, the focus on a good philosophy of ministry, very identical to Maranatha, and the importance of the preaching of the Word of God, faithfulness of the Word of God, and those are the main things. And that's why we're happy and settled at our new church. Little did I know that 
when we started going there that eventually, as was announced, I'm going to be working part-time starting today, actually, at our new church in Baltimore. Uh, Part-time. And my problem is that I have another part-time job working at a funeral home. And every time I go back to Lowe's, they're begging me to come back and work part-time at Lowe's. In fact, the last time I went there, I said, okay, I can maybe squeeze in a day or two. And then the rational mind said, no, you can't work at Lowe's and work at a funeral home and work at your church also. And so now I quit going to Lowe's because <laughs> I've gone back to Home Depot because every time I go to Lowe's, they're, they're begging me to come back. I mean, I wasn't that good at mixing paint. And despite all the paint that I spilled, they have tried to get me to come back. Uh, an interesting story, too, just to share that uh, after we started attending the church, we, and we looked at several churches, but we had been looking at this church online for months and years ahead of time. So we kind of knew this would be the church. And uh, I was invited by the pastor to come to a meeting with a man by the name of Alexander Stroke who is kind of a guru of church ministry, church leadership. And uh, the church leadership was at this lunch, and they had lunch at a seafood restaurant, which I hate seafood, so I had to act like I was enjoying the food there. (laughs) But uh, Alexander said, well, go around the table and introduce everybody. Tell us what they're doing in your church. And so introducing the leadership team, and he came. And this is Glenn. He is new here, and he's soon going to become a pastor at our church. I said, oh, well, that's news to me. I didn't really know that at that point. But uh, the seeds were being sown for God to give us an opportunity, which we are extremely grateful for, to be able to serve there. But we pray for you regularly and pray for Pastor Joey and uh, God blessing him, and especially with his health issues, pray for God's blessing and restore, uh, restoration of health for you, dear brother. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 once again. We're going to look at the first four verses. Philippians chapter four, uh, 2, did I say 4? Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I've got to watch my time a little bit. We're used to an hour-long sermon at our church, and I'm not sure if you want an hour-long sermon. It's... 11.05, that would be 12.05, so let's read Philippians 2, 1 through 4. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that we have the source, the divine inspiration, right in our laps, in our hands, the word of God. Inspired, inerrant, our guide for faith and practice. And all of it is profitable for us. And as we look at this text, may we examine our own hearts and lives to see how we match up. And as we begin this new year, 
It's an opportunity to refocus, recalibrate, examine our hearts and lives in our relationships with family members, with friends, with church family. We pray that we will be convicted where necessary, encouraged where necessary, and walk more worthy of you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's no secret that our society is very self-absorbed. Baby boomers, my generation, were called the me generation. But millennials have been called the me, me, me generation. I'm not sure what generations X and Z are. They're probably a, a lot more me's. But they got it from us, the baby boomers, to be very self-absorbed, to be the me generation. We also live in this world of what's called selfies. You ever think about that? Self. Let's take a selfie. Millions of them are taken every day and posted on social media. But I saw an interesting New York Post article that said that taking selfies is actually more dangerous than swimming in the ocean. More people die from selfies than from shark attacks. Because people are distracted, they take selfies in precarious situations, and sometimes fall to their death. And I believe as a result of this me-centeredness that is a problem for, I think, all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, that we have to admit that we are often self-absorbed, that this me-centeredness has led to a rise of conflict, dissension and disharmony among believers in the community, in our families, and tragically also our church family. So Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 4, I believe is a very convicting passage. It is a powerful passage that we should allow to speak to us on this first day of 2023. And it is the opposite of this me-centeredness in our culture. I've titled this sermon, How to Foster Harmony with One Another. How to Build Harmony with One Another. Now, I think most of us know the Church of Philippi, and we read of that in Acts chapter 16, was established on Paul's second missionary journey. Two of the well-known converts of Paul are recorded in that chapter, Lydia, the seller of purple, and the Philippian jailer and his family, and Paul and Silas were thrown in prison for a period of time. So Paul wrote this as one of the prison epistles. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. There's no controversies. There's no doctrinal correction, no moral sin to expose, but he's talking to what is, seems to be a fairly healthy church. But yet, there seems to be an issue that comes up in chapter 2 and also in chapter 4 that was gaining ground in that of disunity among the brethren. A healthy church, but a church that there ought to be concern. And all of us have relationships, and we ought to be concerned when there is conflict that is not resolved. We ought to be concerned when we're not loving one another as Christ loved the church. 
that we're not obeying the commands to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind and love our neighbor as ourselves. So there's three main points that we like to share as we look at this text. The first is reasons to build harmony. Why should we have harmony in our relationships? Notice verse 1 once again. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Paul begins with the word so, or therefore, referring to what he has already spoken about leading up to chapter 2. And I believe a key verse is found in chapter 1, verse 27, leading up to this so. In chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The gospel is the core of what we're here for and what we're about and the doctrines encompassing that. And we can, even though we can disagree on a myriad of things that are not as important, the main thing is still the main thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we find in verse 1 a series of if clauses that in the Greek language were called first-class conditions, making them really certainties. If, in this verse, one can be translated since or so. So we have four encouragements, four reasons to build harmony in verse 1. I'll highlight them very quickly for time's sake. And it could be since you have, first of all, encouragement in Christ. Are we not encouraged by the gospel of Christ? That we, when we were saved, were joined together with Christ, union with Christ. That ought to say, we ought to say hallelujah. In our church, they're a little more vocal than Maranatha ever was, so it's okay to say hallelujah or amen occasionally. Secondly, another reason to build harmony is comfort from God's love or consolation from God's love. His love is so amazing. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. Thirdly, since we have participation with the Spirit of God, when you and I were saved, we were immediately indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God, the Spirit is our comforter, our guide, our convictor. We may not always like that convicting work, but it is beneficial for us. And we ought to thank God for his convicting work. And lastly, since you have affection and sympathy... That affection and sympathy could be speaking about God's work of grace and affection and sympathy for us, but I believe it also is talking about the affection and sympathy in our brotherly love for one another, our care for one another. By this shall all men know you are my disciples if you what? You can say it. Love one another. This is how we're known as his disciples. So verse 1, Paul gives us four reasons to promote harmony. And these are just four of dozens of dozens of promises in the Word of God. Our gratitude for these blessings should motivate us to 
be in harmony, to resolve conflict with one another? How can I rip apart other Christians when we are so loved by God? That ought to change our hearts and minds. But then secondly, Paul in verse 2 gives a request to build harmony. There are reasons to build harmony in verse 1. There's the request to build harmony in verse 2. And this is a a command, my friend. Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul's earnest request is complete my joy. Now, I find that very amazing. Remember, Paul's in prison. I probably would have been praying, complete my joy by finding a way out of prison. I don't like my circumstances. Get me out of here any way you can. Find enough bail to get me out of prison. That's what I would have been writing and praying. But no, his prayer request, complete my joy by living in harmony, in unity. And he says it four ways to emphasize the point in case we missed it, in saying it just one time, by being of the same mind, having the same love, full accord, in one mind. Four times, in four different ways, we see the word same, same, accord, one. Do we get it? We're to be unified. We're to resolve our differences At times, let love cover a multitude of sins. I don't have to make this an issue. And then there are times, if it is a doctrinal issue, if it's a gospel issue, yes, there are times we have to separate, that we have to do what is right for the purity, for the sake of the gospel. But the issue is that harmony ought to dominate our lives. That was a theme of Christ's prayer in John chapter 17, a prayer that often is not called the Lord's Prayer. We think of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, but in a longer prayer, this is really God's prayer for his disciples. And listen to John 17, 22, what one of the elements of his prayer was this, the glory which you have given me, Jesus says, I have given them. And what is his request? So that they, my disciples, my followers, may be one, just as you and I are one, the Godhead is in one, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the triunity. And the call is that believers, in his earnest prayer, before he was betrayed, before he went to the cross, Jesus prayed for harmony. Paul delivered that same message, as we mentioned in chapter 4. You don't have to turn there, but in chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, I urge Yodia, I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. So while this is a model church, a healthy church, there was some disunity and he goes to chapter 4 and now he names names. Can you imagine if we got a letter at Maranatha Baptist Church naming two ladies (laughs) that need to deal with their discord? so that the whole church and churches for centuries know the names of Yodia and Syntyche, they're named. 
Has anybody named their daughters Yodia and Syntyche? They were in conflict. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul writes, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, that, but that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. That's an issue that Paul writes about in numerous letters for unity. Thirdly, and our third point we're going to plan on for a little longer than the first two points, in case you're keeping track of your watches. Verse 3 and 4, requirements to build unity. So we have the reasons to build unity. We have, secondly, the way, uh, the request to build harmony and now requirements to build harmony. And verses 3 and 4 is where the rubber hits the road. These are critical responsibilities and requirements for us to promote harmony in our relationships. If we do the opposite, we're not going to be unified. If we do the opposite, we're going to have discord in it, in disharmony. And I believe that God's people would put these more into practice. It would transform our relationships in our home, in the church, in our community. Honestly, in my years of ministry, if we would practice verses 3 and 4 more, it would have saved a lot of marriages. It would have healed a lot of broken relationships. It would have prevented a lot of discord in the church of Jesus Christ. So verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Look each of you, not on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. I see five requirements for you and I in these two verses. If we're going to promote harmony, if we're going to deal with the sin of disunity in our life, again in the home, in the community, at the church, and how sad it has been over the years when I've seen situations where people would not talk to one another anymore. That we're brothers and sisters in the faith. Sometimes blood brothers and sisters would not speak to one another. The first requirement is very clear. Don't be selfish in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition. The New American Standard Bible translates it selfishness. The ESV, selfish ambition, King James Version, strife. I think we know what selfishness is, don't we? Because it is me, it is I. And I struggle with it every day. With my wife, my children, my grandchildren. Again, it's often too much about me instead of about them. It's something we struggle with. The word selfishness means to be self-seeking, acting for my own personal benefit, regardless of the strife or discord that it will cause. This is listed as one of the works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5. Selfishness is a sin of our flesh. It is the same word that is used over in chapter 1 verse 17 by Paul to describe those who were preaching Christ out of envy against Paul. 
And when I read that section, uh, we don't have time to look at all the verses, I'm shocked that some people were jealous and envious of Paul and would preach out of envy against him. I mean, the man is in prison. Do you kick a guy when he's down? But in essence, have we all done that? Instead of reaching out in tender love and care, helping them, But that's what selfish ambition does. James chapter 3 warns us, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and he even says it's demonic. 3 John, only one chapter, verse 9 says, Diotrephes loved to be first. Isn't that what selfishness means? I want the first pie. I want to be in the front of the line. And then, of course, we say the first shall be last and the last shall be first because the last want to be in the first part of the line. I don't want to wait a half hour for the potluck and find out that green bean casserole is all gone that I was craving for. Or the prime rib is all gone. Or the baked ham Selfish ambition is what led the disciples of Jesus to have a major conflict. There was a clash between James and John who wanted to be first. And they said to Jesus, listen to this, grant that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in glory. Can you imagine James and John Followers of Jesus Christ. But yet when the other disciples heard about it, they were incensed. Why did we not think of that first? How come they thought of that first? And Jesus had to intercede. And he said this in Mark chapter 10, verses 44 and 45. Whoever wants to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Wow. That had to puncture a lot of balloons and ought to puncture our balloon. This past summer, I remember watching a YouTube video that came on the news feed of a very interesting event that took place at a Little League baseball game. The pitcher beamed the hitter in the head. He fell down on the ground. And the coach came to check on him, the ump, and so forth. But thankfully, he got up, and he walked down to first base. By the time he got to first base, the pitcher on the mound was crying. That player on first base who got beamed walked over to the mound before the coach would even walk over to him and hugged him. Did any of you ever see that? It was an amazing video. I watched it time and time again. It wasn't about him, his selfish ambition. You beamed me. I'm going to take the bat to you. He showed kindness and love. The second requirement is also in this phrase. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. The second requirement, if we're going to build harmony, is don't be so conceited with one another. King James Version translates this as vainglory. 
The word conceit means to have a highly exaggerated self-view. It is love of self. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, We are not to think of ourselves more highly. And a paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. We should not be doing things to be seen of others, to receive accolades, to have hearts filled with pride. In fact, Christ condemned that among the Pharisees. When he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Take care not to practice your righteousness in the sight of people, to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And three specific areas that he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount was their fasting, their prayer life, and their giving. Don't do it to be seen of others, to receive a pat on the back or an accolade. If you do, you've lost your reward. Because my friend, I think we all know how destructive pride is in our lives. As Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Because when I'm conceited, I'm thinking about myself. I'm puffed up. I want to brag. I want to boast. And it's hard not to brag about our grandchildren and boast about them. I remember years ago playing on Maranatha's softball team, and I was never very good. But thank you, coaches, for allowing me to play. And you know, I sat at the bench quite a bit, which was fine. I was happy to be the cheerleader. I see a couple of my coaches, Ray and Paul. And I remember I was having a good day one day, and I had a couple of hits and coming to bat another time. And, and nobody knew this, but I knew in my heart, I was starting to feel pretty good about myself. I said, I'm going to really hit a long one this time, you know, keep my eye on the ball, this is going to be a good one. And then I struck out. <laughs> slow pitch softball. Guys don't strike out in slow pitch softball. Girls may, but not guys. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. <laughs> okay, I just lost that sermon point. I knew I had a heart of pride and I deserved to strike out. Reminded of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Therefore, let anyone who, anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And going back to the King James translation, vainglory, I really like that word. Because isn't it vain when we want the glory Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 1.31, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. But now as we move on to the third requirement, we come to the word but in verse 3. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. So the third requirement is to be humble-minded. To be humble in our relationships with one another. This can be translated Humility of mind, lowliness of mind. We're to think of ourselves as much smaller than we are. We need to have a deep sense of our littleness, 
to act in modesty instead of arrogance. The idea of humility was a term of derision among the Greeks. But that's how some mature Christians even act. That's how I've acted. I'm good at this. I've done a good job. And why am I not getting the accolades? But in reality, when you and I were saved, we had to recognize we were in abject spiritual poverty and crying out as a beggar, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's how we're saved. If we do not come that way, we can't be saved. We were nothing. We were all in need of God's grace and the work of Christ on the cross who sacrificed everything for you and I so that we might live, live abundantly and have eternal life and experience eternal joy. I don't deserve that. Do you? Do we? And he humbled himself and went to the cross in our behalf. First Peter chapter 5 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. James reminds us, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is easier to preach than to, to live. I recognize that. Because, again, we're all about self and selfies, and it's hard to be humble. One quote that I read said this, lowliness of mind is the grease that keeps the gears of our relationships running smoothly. That will bring harmony if we live in humility. Then the end of verse 3 shows us how to practice this, getting to our fourth requirement. Think of others first is our fourth requirement. As we're trying to build harmony, we need to think of others first because verse 3 says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That word count can be an accounting term, a mathematical term, to calculate. To calculate as we're esteeming others as more important than ourselves. R.C. Sproul once said, the New Testament sets forth a radical ethic. It sets a standard that is opposed by the customs and practices of every society in the world. The New Testament teaches us that we should prefer the exaltation of others above ourselves. And another person put this in mathematical terms, add up the interests of others, subtract my own interests, and that will equal harmony. Add and subtract. And that builds harmony in the home. That's not the American way. As I said in Sunday School Hour, Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way, is interestingly the number one song used at funerals today. I Did It My Way? That's antithetical to all of Scripture. I Did It My Way. The American idea is if I don't look out for number one, if I don't look out for my family, the American ideal is I have to demand my rights. The Bible's all about giving up my rights for the sake of the gospel. Jesus Christ gave up his rights. He voluntarily limited himself, as we see later on in this passage, 
and went to the cross, he humbled himself. King James Version translates this, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than by themselves. Leading to the fifth requirement, the last of five requirements, consider the interest of others. Consider the interests of others, and we see this in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interest of others. A paraphrase of this verse goes this way. It's a longer paraphrase. It says, don't continually let your care and your attention be consumed by your own concerns. Don't fix your focus on your own needs, your own wants, your own importance. But think about the needs and interests of others. So verse 4 is really expressing how humility takes place in our lives. We think of others first by caring for their needs. We look out for their interests. Because ultimately, when I'm preoccupied with myself, it is sin. It is sin like any other sin that needs to be confessed. We're reminded in the commands to the husband to love his wife in Ephesians chapter 5 that no man ever hated his own flesh. But every man nourishes himself and cherishes it. That's the human tendency of all of us, men and women, but particularly men, as commanded there in Ephesians chapter 5. We have a human tendency to be proud, arrogant, and egotistical. We don't like those words. That's for those people over there, not us. That was King Nebuchadnezzar's downfall. When he was even given a warning in Daniel chapter 4, he then looked at his kingdom and was proud and became a wild beast for seven years. His grandson didn't learn from him and lavished this beast when he had the handwriting on the wall, King Belshazzar. And it is my opinion, and just my opinion, that most problems between family and friends, most discord within a local church, have occurred because people want their own way. And it can't be that way. We've got to be thinking about others. The ultimate goal, the cause of the cross of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, that's a sure recipe for conflict and disharmony. And ultimately, the cause of Jesus Christ suffers when we should be coming together as one body with one mind, one spirit in Jesus Christ. We're not gathered together to be served, but to serve others. And let me repeat Mark chapter 10, verse 45 once again. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for money. Christ is the perfect example for all of us. Let me conclude with several thoughts, or a couple thoughts. And I kind of mentioned this already there are occasions when division is necessary. But again, it is for the sake of the gospel. And there's passages, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Or the end of Mark, I'm off the top of my head, says if there's somebody walking in disorder, in doctrinal disunity, separate yourself from those. Because we want the gospel to remain pure and whole. 
And thank God you have a church that holds high the cross of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is central focus. You ought to rejoice in that. Because there's so many churches that have abandoned the faith. So divisions sometimes are necessary for the purity of the gospel. But secondly, it's my opinion that most divisions are unnecessary. As I've looked at my life in a landscape of issues over the years, most are not essential to the gospel. Most are a result because I want it my way. There are times we can agree to disagree. I mean, I don't agree with all the decisions I've made in my life. And even though I have a beautiful marriage with my wife, Sue, we don't always agree. But we need to submit to one another in love. Paul has given us some important principles in this passage to promote harmony. And the problem is we as Christians want our way. We're demanding our rights too often. And we too often are concerned because we didn't get our way or because we can get our feelings hurt. And, and it's important to be caring and cautious and helping people through that. But ultimately, I know in my life, when I get my feelings hurt, it's pride that's gotten in the way. It's self-interest. Because, again, it's all about me. Harry Ironside told a story that when he was a kid, there was a dispute that erupted in his church between two men. And one man stood and pounded and said, I don't care what the rest of you do. All I want is my rights. Sitting in the front was an elderly Scottish man. And he said, Sir... If you had your rights, you would be in hell. The man quietly sat down and he said, You're right. You're right. And sometimes we have to say that in our own lives. Also, in conclusion, would you look down Philippians 2 5 through 8? We've referenced this a couple times, but. Here is the example that we have. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, something to grasp, something to wrestle with. He was willing to leave heaven's glory for you and I. Verse 7, but he emptied himself. How did he do that? He became a servant for us. He was born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He did the ultimate humble thing by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. My friend, how can I say I can't obey the commands of verses 3 and 4 when I read this section of what Jesus did? He models it for us. And I like the King James Version. Again, I'm not King James only when I'm saying this, but let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, we are to take on the same mind that Christ demonstrated in verses 5 through 8. 
I need to remind myself daily of Christ's example. Even when I don't feel like trying, when I don't care, let his example work in my life. Because ultimately, we are to love one another. Again, by this shall all men know you are my disciples, if you love one another. We see that eight times in the gospel accounts that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we can't say we love others if we're selfish. We can't say we love others if we're conceited. We can't say we're building harmony if we're thinking of ourselves and our own interests above somebody else's interests. Ultimately, we need to confess this as sin and commit to building harmony. I preached this sermon at the church we're at back in August. And before I went to the preach it at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I was watching your service, and I added this conclusion after I heard the closing hymn that you sung that service, the last Sunday of August. It was from the second verse of Beneath the Cross of Jesus, the new, new version of that, that says, Beneath the Cross of Jesus, His family is my own. We were once strangers chasing selfish dreams. Now one through grace alone. So how could I dishonor the ones that you have loved beneath the cross of Jesus? See the children called by God. And that be our prayer, our vision. My prayer for my life is God help me deal with my selfishness, my conceit to walk humbly before him, to think of others first. Think of their needs and their interests in my home, at my church, with my neighbors, which sometimes I have to bite my tongue, but even with my neighbors. God help us on this first day, 2023, to commit these verses in our heart. So we pray. Lord, you know our hearts. You know our struggles. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that's very clear in this passage. That Christ went to the cross for the sake of our sins. That we could be redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through faith and repentance in Christ alone. And we all came the same way, poor in spirit. Humbly crying out for our salvation. Oh Lord, help us to walk more humbly before you. Help us to rebuild broken relationships. Help us not to point the finger at others, to point the finger at ourselves. To resolve conflict, we have to start with our own hearts and lives. And readjust our thinking. And then pray that God will work in other lives and hearts. May the marvelous grace of Jesus Christ overwhelm us. Build a greater spirit of harmony among us. In Jesus' name.